2: A while back, I visited my alma mater. I'm talking about my first alma mater, Woodacres Elementary School in Bethesda, Maryland. Hi, I'm Mr. Rocca. I went to this school. When I first came to Woodacres in the third grade, I wasn't Mo. I was Maurice Rocca. Maurice, a name which felt hopelessly out of style. I was the only Maurice in the whole school, but... Maybe the name has a better rep now. Okay, I'm gonna ask each of you a question. And, and... That's what I've come back to find out. I started off slowly, though, asking about other names which peaked long ago. When I say the name, Mildred, what do you think of?
3: Um, London. I think of an old British person. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. me too. I agree. Me too. Yeah.
2: Okay, what about, what about the name Bertha?
3: Um, an old lady that's fat.
2: What do you mean, Bertha?
3: I agree.
4: I agree. <laughs> I agree too.
2: There's unanimity here. Yeah, what? I must confess, I get what they're saying. In the 21st century, names like Mildred and Bertha conjure certain images. Is it the er? Uh, is it the
0: th? Uh,
3: yeah, I think that, yeah. Or is it the b? All of it.
2: Just all together.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, what about the name?
3: Todd. A tall person that plays golf. <laughs> kinda like um middle-aged, like in his forties. Tall, um, that's, brown that's hair. Of. They're kinda weird. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, a, Todd. Weird. that's a Todd. That's a tall. That's Todd. There.
2: Finally, I mustered the courage to ask them about my name. What do you think of the name Maurice? <laughs>
3: I think of, like, an old French dude. Uh, like, repeat? a young person who travels a lot, maybe doesn't have a home. Is he
2: on the run from the law? Why is he... Yeah.
3: Maybe he just kind of, like, stays in hotels and just goes everywhere.
4: Like, <laughs> like, some, like, singer, maybe? <laughs> that, that's, like, they're not really known. Yeah, they're, like, a local kind of person, but they still cha- they move a lot. I don't really know what they
2: Not really known? A local kind of person? Ouch. But it turns out there is a traveling singer named Maurice Van Hoke.
5: Oh, I'm a
1: traveling
2: man. And Maurice is also a portly Frenchman in Disney's Beauty and the Beast.
1: Help! Someone help me! Maurice?
5: Please, please, I need your help
2: but the name Maurice may be permanently on the way out. We Maurices reached the height of our popularity in the 1920s when there were an average of about 1,600 born annually. Now, just a few hundred come into the world each year. What makes a name rise and fall in the ranks? What makes a name pretty and popular to one generation and unique or downright ugly to the next? From CBS Sunday Morning and iHeart, I'm Maurice Rocca, and this is Mobituaries. This mobit, the death of a name. I knew a kid in elementary school named Jeff Huebner. He was friendly. He was good at soccer. He was cool. He could introduce himself with confidence because he was a Jeff. He perfectly embodied his own name. I, on the other hand, always felt awkward telling people my name. Maybe it was because growing up, I knew of only three other Maurice's. There was children's book author Maurice Sendak, who wrote the classic Where the Wild Things Are. There was the Maurice from that Steve Miller band song, The Joker.
5: Some people call me Maurice because I speak for the
3: pompous
2: of love. That was kind of cool, but that was canceled out by French entertainer Maurice Chevalier.
3: little girl of five or
2: six or seven. I can't resist a joyous urge. That song he sang in Gigi.
4: Thank for
2: I can't believe he hasn't been canceled for that. But that was pretty much it. I was born Maurice Albert Rocca. My mother tells me my father was the one who really wanted to name me Maurice. She would have preferred Gabriel. My father is no longer living, so I can't know for sure. But I think he wanted something on the gentler side, since Rocca can sound brusque. But I didn't like it. At one point, I thought, maybe I should go by Al. I mean, which would have been crazy. I mean, right. like, when I think about it, or not crazy, it just would have sounded, sounded odd. Al Rocca. I talked to one of my former teachers about it that day I visited Woodacres. Her name is Miss Vinici, and she was one of my all-time favorites. She was patient, kind, and impossibly glamorous. More about that in a bit. Turns out she could have made a pretty decent
4: therapist, too. Now, you said you didn't like your name, so... Uh, were you teased in school?
2: You know, I don't know that I was ever teased mm-hmm. for my name. Mm-hmm. It just felt so different. It felt foreign. Everything changed when I graduated from Wood Acres to Pyle Middle School. And oddly enough, it was thanks to the aptly named Jeff Hebner.
4: I know him. I, I mean, I remember him. He was very blonde.
2: Very blonde. Yeah. And when I went to Pyle, it's kind of scary, all the elementary schools feeding right. into the big mm-hmm. junior high. And the phys ed teacher there on one of the first days did roll call and said, you know, when I get to your name, if you have a name you prefer I, I use, I'll write it in the mm-hmm. in the book. And then she said, Maurice Rock. I said, here. And then Jeff Heepner said, he's not Maurice, he's Mo. And that's kind of how I is got my name. is that
4: how it started? <laughs> is, I was going to ask you. So... Jeff just came out with it, and you preferred it,
2: obviously. Yeah, I kind of nice. I liked it. It was easy, yeah, and yeah. it kind of yeah. popped. But now I love when people call me Maurice, so you have oh. to call me. Uh, for this episode, I'm Maurice.
4: I wasn't sure what, and what to call you, whether I should call you Maurice or Mo. And if there's anyone who would
2: understand this kind of confusion over one's own name, it's Miss Vinici. Mildred Vinici. Despite what those kids said earlier, Mildred Venisi is not British, but the granddaughter of Italian immigrants.
4: And there was a custom, I doubt if it's still in existence, that the firstborn, I was the firstborn, is named either for the father's mother or the father's father, of course, depending upon the sex. My grandmother's name was Camilla, and I'm sure that my parents, being first generation, wanted an anglicized name. Carmela's were called Millie. Millie is Mildred. Growing up, Miss Vinici didn't
2: know any other Mildreds, and she didn't really like her name. Lucky for her, she too got a nickname that eventually stuck.
4: Somewhere along the line, I started being called Millie, not by family. My mother and father, I was still Mildred, but my generation, my friends started calling me that, my sisters call me Millie. And so now I introduce myself that way. It just sort of happened. It just sort of happened. I think the name Millie flows better. It's a little more musical than Mildred. I I just think Mildred is harsh.
2: She's not thoroughly modern Mildred.
4: No, right. See and that wouldn't sound good. That just would not sound good. <laughs>
2: I also never thought Mildred was an appropriate moniker for Miss Vinici, with her luxuriant mane of dark curly hair, her Jackie O sunglasses, her Jordache jeans, or were they Gloria Vanderbilt? Look, all I know is that no other teacher looked like she just walked off the set of an Aaron Spelling nighttime soap. Honestly, Miss Venice was so fabulous, I could barely contain myself. I don't know if you'll remember, so if you don't, it's kind of like a confession, I guess. But I remember in fifth grade waiting outside the all-purpose room for lunch. But when you walked by, I said, hey, what's shaking, Millie? You wheeled around. Well, yeah. (laughs) And I think you said something like, don't you ever call me that again.
4: (laughs) I miss (laughs) Benisi. I probably did. (laughs) Typical teacher.
2: The name Mildred reached its peak in 1920, when more than 18,000 babies were named Mildred. It was the sixth most popular girl's name that year. Popular enough that there are a number of notable Mildreds throughout history. Mildred J. Hill was the composer of Good Morning to All, the melody of which became the Happy Birthday song.
4: And then that movie Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford, that must have been in the 40s.
0: Now I'm sure of one thing, at least. I want my daughter back.
2: Um, Mildred Gillers, an American who broadcast Nazi propaganda from Germany during World War II, also known as Axis Sally. She was indicted after the war and charged
4: with treason. Okay, so that's not a
2: good Mildred.
4: That's not a good Mildred, but I think I've heard of Axis Sally.
2: But after hitting its popularity peak in the early 20th century, Mildred slowly slid down the list of the thousand most popular names. In 2017, only 83 newborn girls were named Mildred in the U.S. Recent users on one baby-naming website dismissed the name as sounding too much like Mildew. Wrote another, makes me think of dreading something.
4: I was the only Mildred in all my years at school. There was a period of time when a lot of girls were named Karen. And there was another period of time where a lot of girls were named Janet. I don't know. But I I just think that names have cycles. And um, maybe something triggers it. As she so often
2: was when I was growing up, Mildred Vinici is right. Coming up, I'm going to talk with linguist John McWhorter about what makes names pretty, prickly, or popular. But first, in In memoriam for another name that left us. Hortense, we hardly knew you. Despite your French origins, your name lacked the crisp, bright bubbliness of champagne and the addictive qualities of your country's cheeses— Disney must have had a thing for you because Hortense McDuck is Donald Duck's mother. Donald gets an ostrich named Hortense, and his uncle Scrooge McDuck named his horse Hortense. Alas, Disney was never going to create a Princess Hortense. As a name, you're just not pretty. You barely cracked the top 400 names in the U.S. around the turn of the 20th century, and you slid off the top 1,000 after 1941. Now, Hortensia does have a nice ring to it. It's the Spanish version of Hortense. Hortensia also means hydrangea. Uh, To be clear, I'm not suggesting anyone name their daughter hydrangea. Hortense, you are strictly past tense. Gone, and yes, forgotten.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
2: To understand better why names come and go, I talked with an expert, Columbia University Associate Professor of Comparative Literature
6: and linguist, John McWhorter. How did you become a John? I'm John Hamilton McWhorter V, and John Hamilton McWhorter I was a slave. So I was named because of that relentless succession and the idea that you don't break it. And as a matter of fact, I know. If my father hadn't been John Hamilton McWhorter fourth, I would be named Bruce. That's what my mother would have chosen. And I would have named my son John, except... He's a girl, and so the name had to stop with my two girls. So she has my middle name.
2: Gianna. In in Italian, you'd have Gianni and Gianna. But in in English, Johnette. None of them work. That just sounds like a a, a, a tiny little bathroom. <laughs> it, it does. We, we live in an efficiency. We only have room for a, yeah, have a Johnette. McWhorter was born in 1965, when John was the second most popular name in the country. And the name John isn't going away. It's still in the top 30 names for boys in the U.S. But if you go back in time to the early 20th century, John was far and away the number one boy's name. America was producing Johns in mass quantities. It was like the Model T of names. In fact, if you were born in that era, it was really common for you to have a name that was in the top 10. People just seemed to want to fit in.
6: You go back to that time and there is a sense of what a normal American person is that would strike us today as almost bizarrely homogenous. And that's not to say that there weren't some ripples going on around the edges, but there was a certain sense that America was, you know, turkey and apple pie and that's what one was. One was very, very, very white.
2: Well, the, and that's so interesting because aren't the, those are competing impulses, right? I want my child to have a name that makes him or her special. I also want my child to have a name that makes him or her fit in. And right? that interesting? Right? And, yeah. so,
6: and back then, no special. I mean, if you think of somebody naming their child in 1865, most people did not want something that would make the child feel special. Or it would be something going on with the middle name, something that was less known. You might play with it. Even when I was in school
2: in the 70s and 80s, I remember the popular names were really popular. Oh, yeah, I mean, in, in junior high, I was drowning in Jennifers. Oh, they were, they were everywhere. That's right. What was going
6: on? Jennifers what? and Jennies. That's right. There's yeah.
2: so many Jennifers. Oh, <laughs> it, was just, it, was, it was a tsunami of them. I went to
3: school with 27 Jennifers.
2: But the days of a few names dominating are over. At its peak, a full 5% of all newborn male babies were named John, one in 20. Fast forward to 2021, and the top names for females and males, Olivia and Liam, made up only around 1% of babies born that year. In other words, the most popular names are less popular.
6: Parents today shoot for originality. There's a sense that if you're going to name a child... You spontaneously reach out and you think, how can we have a little bit of fun with this? And you don't want to torture your child. I once knew this poor little boy, his parents had named him Rotunda Thanksgiving Jones. Oh, And it was because he was born when John F. Kennedy was laid out in the rotunda. And they named him Thanksgiving just because. And of course, he was made fun of. It sounds like a song in a Forgotten Gershwin musical. It does, because there were songs like that. Rotunda Thanksgiving Jones. You can imagine it. And this guy really had that name. And so it was a tragic thing, but you want your child to be somewhat different, probably not too different. But I think most people think not the average thing unless it's named after a grandparent or a father or something like that. John McWhorter says that trend towards uniqueness and away from uniformity tracks with broader changes in American society. I think it's very much a spirit of individuality. And, of course, many people would say that the spirit of individuality is part of what being an American is. But there's an extreme that happens, and I think it happens after the 1960s with the sense of what was called the me generation in the 70s. And then the greater respect for and awareness of the diversity of Americannesses that you get that really becomes default starting in the 80s. That's when a certain browning of the culture happens think about 1984 is when the cosby show becomes a big hit vanessa williams becomes the first black miss america
2: and our new miss america is vanessa williams miss new york
6: beverly hills cop is almost the biggest selling movie in the country you know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever
0: been in in my
6: life. That's all in 84. And that's just black diversity. I think we've become much more comfortable with America not just being my three sons starting in the 1980s. As a part of that change, there's a shift in naming traditions, especially among
2: Black Americans. 1980 is a particularly interesting year for naming kids. That year, 60% of Black girls are given a unique name, one that no one else has. McWhorter points out that after the civil rights movement of the 1960s, Afrocentrism gained traction in the
6: 70s and 80s. So once you get past integration as the watch cry, and there's a certain kind of, in some ways, healthy separatism that's afoot, then it becomes natural to be comfortable making up a name. And so what happens, frankly, is I've often thought that black girls in particular— tend to have more interesting names because it's considered okay to just make it up. And what you get are all of these beautiful African-style names for people born in the United States. And it's all rather pretty, but it really explodes, especially with the sense of Africa and the African heritage rising in the 1970s. That's when you get little girls named Makiba.
2: Well, I'm going to impress you right now and tell you, and I'm sorry if it sounds boastful, (laughs) in college... I was in a production of Little Shop of Horrors with Katanji Brown, now Katanji Brown kidding. Jackson. I was Seymour. Thank you very much. Was she, she was, one of the? She was Runette, and she was fantastic. She was fantastic. <laughs> Only you know this. Yeah, and she yeah, we, it, 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 she was not <laughs> Crystal. I, I'm suddenly forgetting the last uh, uh, one's name. But anyway, she was great. We Ronetta. also did improv comedy together. But her name, I know you've written about she her did name. Improv? Yeah. Wow. She's really. Funny Is she funny? She is. I'm telling this you. This is what we'll never learn from I'm, now no, on. Right. We will because we, we are going to make sure that hearings are now, you know, <laughs> simulcast on Comedy Central because she's that funny.
6: I want to know that about her. Yeah, that's a perfect example that her name is Katanji. If she were a generation older, her name would probably be Carolyn. But now it is Katanji Brown Jackson, and that's ordinary starting, especially with women of her generation. It's nice to see. I mean, Katanji is a much more interesting name than But one group of people we expect original names from? Celebrities.
2: It's practically a rite of passage. The first time I can remember this happening is in 2004, when Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin named their daughter Apple. At the time, it was weird. Now, totally normal. Kylie Jenner has a daughter named Stormy and it's not it's not with a Y, it's with an I at the end. Yeah. And Elon Musk has one that's a bunch of I can't of, even pronounce It's that. a bunch of symbols, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I looked it up. It's pronounced X Ash A twelve.
6: All of that is because they are public figures, and so for them, naming is a public act. And if it's going to be a public act, then you want to do something that's going to stand out rather than something that's going to bore people. If somebody like Gwyneth Paltrow sets off a tradition, next thing you know, everybody's doing it. So it's sort of a celebrity contagion in a yeah, way. A, the, I think I would put it just that way. What Jay-Z and Beyonce, Blue Ivy. Blue that's Ivy. really beautiful, but it's not. African. It's not the usual tradition. That's something they came up with all by themselves as people who knew that everybody was watching them having that child. So that's where you get that tradition. And that seems to actually cut across races with celebrities too. Yeah, it's, it's a show. It's a It's a kind of display. And I don't mean that in a bad way
2: most parents aren't going to resort to naming their kids after a combination of math, aircraft, and elven symbols representing artificial intelligence, which is what Musk's baby's name represents. But throughout history, parents have often taken naming cues from pop culture. Well, I'm going to quiz you on it right now, actually, because this is really fun. So I'll start off really easy. Shirley saw a dramatic spike between 1932 and 1935 because of...
6: Of Little Shirley Temple. And if you think about it, nobody is named Shirley before then. I and know. then all of a sudden, everybody's grandmother is named Shirley by the late 20th century. And now the name is impossible. Meet little Shirley. Never.
2: Michelle entered the top 20 in 1965 because that was the same
6: year. It has to be because of that song.
5: Michelle.
2: The Beatles song.
6: Nobody is named, Michelle. Maybe in France. You're just kind of guessing but not here. You mean Hi. new Michelles?
2: Yeah. We've got a lot of Michelles running around, women named Michelle.
6: Women, but not here, not before then. Oh, I yeah. see what you're saying. Like, there's no first lady named Michelle. Right. And if you think about well, it, Michelle no,
2: Obama. But, right, but Michelle,
6: yeah, it, but, there was no it, it, first lady it, it, it named Michelle. It, 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 Good point. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> only only after. And she's named around that time. Yeah, there's no Michelle an, Polk. No. <laughs> no. Michelle Quincy Adams. <laughs> Michelle Quincy Adams. No <laughs> suffragette named Michelle. You know, that's, that's right. It's
2: because Michelle of the Katie song.
6: <laughs> <laughs> the name Layla
2: first appeared in the top one thousand in
6: nineteen seventy two. No, why that? Eric Clapton's song. <laughs> Whoops, oh, Layla. Okay. Yeah, I'm not as good at modern pop. No, okay, that's yeah. fine. I, yeah. I,
2: I love that you and I have the same definition of modern pop. Nineteen seventy
6: two. Nineteen seventy two. <laughs> like, everything ends. So. <laughs>
2: So, this is a trick (laughs) question. Rosanna shot up in 1982 because of... That Toto song. Right. Yes.
5: Rosanna, Rosanna.
2: I interviewed Patricia Arquette. Huh. That song was named after her sister, also an actress. Rosanna, right. But Patricia pointed out to me that her sister's name is really pronounced Rosanna.
0: Hey, I'm Rosanna Arquette, and I'm... um,
2: So, they got the pronunciation of her name wrong. I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear. I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the
6: United States. That I will faithfully
2: After Reagan became president in the 80s, the name Reagan, not not Ronald as much, but the name Reagan surged in popularity, landing in the top 100 by 2012. Now, here's what's I think is fascinating, is that Republican parents were more likely to pick the name Reagan for their kid if they lived in a district that was purple, that was that was sort of evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. Then to make a statement, the, right? Exactly. Then if they weren't a deep
6: red Republican yeah. enclave. Right. Then they don't need to stand out. They don't need to stake their individuality. Exactly. And of course, they weren't thinking of this consciously. So much goes on subconsciously. I doubt any of those families said, so many people around here vote Democratic that let name her Reagan. It was just part of the warp and woof of their psychology because of sensing themselves as a minority or as not more than half of their district. Well, that's fascinating.
2: Yeah. And if you're in a purple district and you name your kid Reagan, do you plant the kid on the front lawn (laughs) during election time? (laughs) That's right.
6: Mommy, how long do I have to stand here?
2: (laughs) Spend some time with the Social Security Administration's Baby Name Database, and you'll see a sort of pendulum swing over the last century, especially among girls. Half of the most popular girls' names started with vowels in the 1880s, then were all consonants by 1950. Anna and Emma became Patricia and Deborah. Now, vowels are back in a big way. It makes you wonder, why? Why?
6: certainly in terms of how we perceive beauty at least in English and in related languages. Vowels are beautiful because they involve no obstruction of the airflow. Mm-hmm. Stop sounds, such as p, t, k, b, d, g; those are the ugliest sounds because you have to stop. Those are the ones that you're calling the jabbing sounds. Then there's everything in between. So, you get a buzz. At least you get a hiss. And then with y-u-u-u-u-u-u, those might as well be vowels. So, having more vowels now could have something to do with people looking for a certain mellifluousness in names. Now, why people would have valued it more during the McKinley administration than during the Coolidge administration, I have no idea. I get the feeling that is random statistical flutter.
2: McWhorter says that over time, fashions change gradually. And something you once found repellent, you now find irresistible.
6: You know how today, if you have a dinner party, every, every second time you have Brussels sprouts probably with bacon or something like that? Imagine how unthinkable that was, say, even as recently as 25 years ago. You didn't give people you liked Brussels sprouts. You did not. You Brussels know? sprouts were,
2: were synonymous with something that
6: was basically— Child torture— Torture. Yeah. I mean, little cabbages, they they sucked. And so you wouldn't give them to anybody. And you don't even have to dress them up that much now. We're used to them. That's partly fashion. I don't think that the Brussels sprouts lobby created this sometime early in the George W. Bush administration. One
2: recent trend, boys' names ending in a certain consonant. What is this with all these Boys today, baby boys having an N at the end of their names. We've got all these Logans,
6: Masons, Ethans, Jacksons. We subconsciously associate that un with a kind of a gracious masculinity. It's what you want to name your little boy. As opposed to and Jack, no, which is a which little is, too severe. Jack is might be a bully. Yeah, not only old-fashioned, but Jack jacks people up. You know, Ethan has conversations, you imagine.
2: Ethan is open to change.
6: Like, he's sort of right. <laughs> he is. Is, is, right. He reasons. Right. <laughs> Ethan reasons. As opposed to Jack, who just sits. Yeah. But even names that hit that
2: right mix of vowels and end just right, ones that are pined after in song or become famous in the names of movie characters or the actors who play them, well, just like we as a society can birth a name, we can also let it die. But first, another in memoriam for Sid, Stan, Irv, Cy, Shelley, and Morty. No, they weren't the original waitstaff at the Carnegie Deli. In the late 1800s, Sidney, Stanley, Irving, Seymour, Sheldon, and Morton were all popular baby boy names with WASP, that is, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, parents. Then, in the late 1920s, many American Jewish parents began choosing these names for their baby boys to help them fit in. But America's wasps apparently felt stung and took flight from these names. Soon enough, Sidney, Stanley, Irving, Seymour, Sheldon, and Morton were seen as stereotypically Jewish, and their assimilation value greatly diminished. As documented by sociologist Stanley Lieberson, American Jews eventually abandoned the names as well. Incidentally, another name in that category was Morris, a sort of cousin to Maurice, but at least Morris was the name of a terrifically droll tabby who used to sell cat food on TV commercials.
6: Nine Live Seafood Platter. Anchors away.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
2: Pop culture and big news events can correlate with names surging, even when those events are disasters. After Hurricane Katrina, names that began with the letter K actually jumped by 9%, according to an analysis by professors at Wharton Business School. The sheer repetition of the name Katrina, it seems, had a subliminal effect. That K sound got stuck in people's heads. But the name Katrina itself? Well, Katrina had been a pretty popular name and even broke the top 100 for a while in the late 70s and 80s. After the storm, though, the name quickly fell out of fashion and in 2013 dropped out of the top 1,000 entirely. Indeed, history can be a name killer as well. The name ISIS saw a burst of popularity in the early 1970s thanks to a Saturday morning superhero of the same name.
6: And found she was heir to The Secrets of ISIS. And so, unknown...
2: it has since fallen out of favor with the rise of the Islamic State, which I find reassuring. But Bertha toppled from a much greater height. In 1918, mothers birthed more than 5,000 Berthas. Try saying that five times fast. So what happened to Bertha? Well, Bertha was the name of a German heiress to Krupp AG, a German weapons manufacturer. And during World War I, the company began making heavy guns. Those guns were dubbed Big Berthas by the Germans. The Allies then or learned of this nickname that it was being called the Big Bertha, and they began using it for all heavy artillery. So it suddenly became synonymous with big, Um, heavy... Portly.
6: Right. Right, yeah. The next thing you know, Bertha is overweight. It's it's associated with being large. That's linguist John McWhorter again.
2: But is there also something about just the sound of it, Bertha? I mean, is it...
6: I'm thinking of girth, birth... The er is not pretty, because it's not as open as other vowel sounds. The th is a little unpleasant. And it begins with a stop consonant. B, er, th. I mean, it's it's nasty in that way. But then especially just because it was associated with something that was portly, I work with
2: a woman who was telling me about a person in her neighborhood that she doesn't like.
6: And she said, "Ah." Oh, I cut her a wide berth. And it's a wide berth. Right. I never thought about that. Right. And you wonder why that expression catches on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, I wonder what it would take for Bertha to come back. (laughs) Hi, Bertha. I don't see it.
2: After World War I, Bertha faded into obscurity and was off the top 1,000 list by the mid-1980s. But a name doesn't have to become synonymous with military weaponry or get added to a terrorist watch list to
6: fade. Sometimes names just wear out. They fall out of the rotation in the same way. You'll find a shirt that you really like and it still fits and it's in your closet and you haven't worn it for five years for no real reason. A name with ugly sounds can last almost a counterintuitively long time. For example, Richard. What an ugly name that is. And think about how much uglier the nickname is and how there were, until about 10 minutes ago normal male people running around in Anglophone America named Dick, and nobody batted an eye. And it wasn't only Dick Sargent and Dick York. I knew a Dick back in the 80s. His it had name nothing was, to do with bewetched. That's right. It's Dick Lincoln, and he was taken seriously as an executive. Only with the past generation or two has that stopped. And not only is Dick ridiculous, and Dick was used to mean what it meant long before it went out, but Dick is an ugly word by these standards. Composer Cole Porter would beg to differ.
2: One of the other names I've been pondering is Todd. Todd showed up in the 30s and just grew and grew. We hit peak Todd in 1964. More than 15,000 were born that year. I used to know tons of Todds, but now I haven't met a baby Todd in decades.
6: What do you think the appeal was in the first place? I think it's partly because ah is the most basic sound in humanity. It's the first sound that babies make. And then with Todd, what you have is a kind of a nice assonance, as it were, because t. And D are the same sound but different. D is T with a little bit of belly in it. So you don't have to make a change. There was something pleasant about Todd. Todd was like a little white potato that's one of those little balls and it's boiled just right. That's like, Todd.
2: Like a tater Todd? Um, yeah.
6: <laughs> Yes.
2: <laughs> I guess it would have to be deep fried as well. Maybe.
6: <laughs> as Todd often was. Add some was. salt.
2: <laughs> and, and, a, and a lovely woman named Millie with a hairnet giving it to you. <laughs> Personally, I like Todd. And I brought in one of my favorite Todds to defend his name, Todd Bridges. Todd Bridges was born in 1965, just one year after Peak Todd. And when he was a teenager, he got a starring role in the hit TV show Different Strokes as Willis Jackson, opposite Gary Coleman as Arnold.
5: Yeah, Phyllis isn't bad. Why don't you ask her out, Arnold?
4: Are you kidding? For starters, she doesn't even know me.
5: My mom said that she dreamed my name. Because there's not very many black Todds. I don't know if you know that or not, but there isn't. (laughs) I think I know Todd Gurley, the football player, and that's about it. I don't think I know anybody else named Todd.
2: That's right. Even though Todd was near its peak when Bridges was born, it was indeed as white as those potatoes.
5: And I'll tell you what what, uh, what happened, which is really funny. One time I got a check somewhere that I was living at, and it said Todd Bridges. And I'm looking, I don't know this company. And it's for a couple thousand dollars. I'm like, I don't know. I said, like, this is not me. So what happened was the postman thought it was me, and it was an address down the street. And I went down the street and rang the bell. And I go, hey, man, is there a Todd Bridges? He goes, yeah, it's me. And he goes oh, hey, Todd. I go, hey, Todd. And I gave him, it was his. It was his chest. <laughs> there an, there's another Todd Bridges right down the street? It was right down the street from where I used to live at, yeah. Another guy. It was a white guy.
2: That's kind of crazy. People get their names made fun of for all sorts of reasons. Is there anything you can do with Todd? Were you ever teased?
5: Well, a lot of people thought that Todd was short for Theodore, but I'm like, no, that's Ted that's short for Theodore. Yeah. Todd is just Todd.
2: Then, in the 1970s, Todd fell off the baby naming cliff.
5: Oh, man, Todd fell off the map? Dang. In 2015, there were only
2: 212 baby boys named Todd. And and did you ever consider
5: naming any of your children Todd? No, no. I named my son Spencer. But I spell it differently. Okay. We we spell his S-P-E-N-C-I-R. And Spencer. Now, why like did that. you do that? We just thought it would make it just original because Spencer is out there and it's, you know, S-P-E-N-C-E-R. We just wanted to make it original, and it's original, Spencer. It,
2: it totally is. G- George Carlin had a whole bit, a routine in 2001 where he actually made fun of the name Todd. He made fun of a, a number
5: of Did he really? He did. I didn't see that. What did, what did he say? And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's just a goofy, it's a goofy fucking name, okay? Hi, what's your name? Todd. Uh, is he still around? No, he is not still around, but great standing. He is lucky, because <laughs> I'd have to go choke him out, messing with my name. <laughs> it's not a goofy name. It's a cool name. <laughs> it's Todd.
2: We end this episode with a nod to Western civilization's earliest baby-naming book, the Bible. From Adam and Eve to Ahab and Jezebel, there are well over a thousand different names mentioned between the Hebrew Bible and Christian New Testament. People have been blessing and sometimes saddling their kids with the names of patriarchs and prophets, matriarchs and magi, for over a thousand years. The most recently popular baby names in the U.S. have included Jonah, Elijah, Naomi, and Noah. I was surprised to see that even the name Lazarus has risen from the dead. Of course, not every biblical name is heaven sent. Judas, if we ignore your history for a second, you're not terrible. Your spelling makes sense, and you have no off-putting hard consonants. Then again, your behavior toward Jesus was more than off-putting. Your name has been permanently shunned. Earlier biblical outcasts haven't fared much better. Sure, there were 300 Cains born in 2015, but nearly 10 times as many Abels were born that year. It doesn't pay to kill your brother. Jesus, of course, is a popular name, especially as Jesus. But Judas, I don't see you ever cracking the top 1,000.
6: Come here, little Judas.
2: Yeah, they're more... (laughs) It's
6: time for your diaper (laughs) change. They're they're not...
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's so sad. (laughs) Friendless, dateless little boy. Esther and Ruth, your solid names, if not always easy to say. Hey, Esther, meet me at Ruth's Christ Steakhouse. You're the only two women with books of the Bible named after you. But after the 1930s, your names made a quick exodus. Yet history shows us that most names are cyclical. What's old, sometimes very old, is new again. Indeed, Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, has seen a surge in popularity as a first name since the 1990s. P.S. If you ever see me out on the street, feel free to call me Maurice. I kind of miss it. I certainly hope you enjoyed this mobituary. May I ask you to please rate and review our podcast? You can also follow Mobituaries on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at moraka. Hear all new episodes of Mobituaries every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And check out Mobituaries Great Lives Worth Reliving, the New York Times bestselling book, now available in paperback and audiobook. It includes plenty of stories not in the podcast. This episode of Mobituaries was produced by Jake Harper and Aaron Schrank. Our team of producers also includes Wilco Martinez Cachero and me Moraka. It was edited by Mora Walls and engineered by Sam Baer, with fact-checking by Naomi Barr. Our production company is Neon Hum Media. Our archival producer is Jamie Benson. Our theme music is written by Daniel Hart. Indispensable support from Craig Swagler, Dustin Gervais, Alan Peng, Reggie Bazile, and everyone at CBS News Radio. Special thanks to Megan Marcus, Alberto Robina, and the staff of Woodacres Elementary. The inimitable Aaron Schrank is our senior producer. Executive producers for Mobituaries include Steve Razies and Moraka. The series is created by yours truly. And as always, undying gratitude to Rand Morrison and John Carp for helping breathe life into mobituaries.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.